0: Screaming from the sidelines, episode number 11, to talk about hoops, betting, and all of the crazy fan behaviors that make us go wild while we're watching all of our beloved teams. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Greg Silver. I am very excited about this episode. Yesterday was Tuesday. I'm recording here on Wednesday, just past noon. And there were no NBA games yesterday, which was kind of a blessing, even though as much as I love watching hoops, there is a lot to keep up with and something is happening every possible second. You love the chaos, but to have just a little bit of time to take a breath made the preparation for this episode a little bit easier. So news is happening all the time. The Brooklyn Nets are not going to move forward with Imei Yudoka, as was believed going to happen. They're going to stick with Jock Vaughn as their head coach. Happy for Brooklyn as they have had more success since the Kyrie Irving suspension after an incredibly disastrous start to the season. Before I get into all of my content for today, I just want to make a brief announcement that this week I had the pleasure of joining a fellow Believe colleague, Aaron Tobin-Hess, on his show, For the Love of the Game. So he will definitely be a future guest here on Screaming from the Sidelines. But in his upcoming episode, please go check him out. That's For the Love of the Game, another podcast on the Believe Network, the number one content network for professionals. Today, we are going to be focusing heavily on the Pacific Division and offering five questions one per team so that is the kings warriors clippers lakers and Suns. and after that we're going to go over some bets for the wednesday slate of games but the team that i want to start with as we're going to move into all of this is the sacramento kings right now they sit at 3 and 6 and 13th in the west So at face value, that's probably not what a lot of fans would like to see. I don't think they would consider it very good. I am here to stick up for the Kings today because right now their average margin of victory is minus 2.1, which means that they're competitive. And in addition to just taking that metric, I also went and looked at the history of all the games they've played Really, only one time this year, they weren't competitive. That's when they played the Memphis Grizzlies. They've either come out on top or suffered close losses to every other team. They were right there in their opener against the Blazers before Portland went on a little run in the last four minutes. They're also not getting very lucky, which is unfortunate for a team that has been through a ton, but... They almost went to overtime in Miami without De'Aaron Fox, but a missed travel call prevented that from happening. And then again, they almost went to overtime against the Warriors on Monday, but there was no foul called that would have sent Kevin Herter to the line for three free throws. And then both times the last two minute NBA report admitted their wrongdoing, but the Kings are three and six instead of four and five or even five and four as a result. De'Aaron Fox had a pretty unbelievable game winner in Orlando. The first half was just a horrendous game. I was watching it with two of my good longtime friends who are dedicated Kings fans. And we went out, got a little exercise there in the third quarter, saw the Kings were coming back, went home to watch the fourth and then overtime. And just when it looked like they were going to blow it and send it to double overtime after having a four point lead at the end. De'Aaron Fox broke the tie with a 32-footer from just inside the midcourt line. Unbelievable shot by the lefty point guard. Now, I want to talk about the Kings because at some point, moral victories don't mean much. You can only have a limited number of close losses before they're just losses. But these Sacramento Kings are not a bottom-feeding, uncompetitive franchise so far, despite what you might see from their record. They actually look really good and really put together. I'm loving what I'm seeing from Keegan Murray, their rookie. Everyone was clowning them for drafting Murray instead of Jaden Ivey. Both have been off to nice starts, but so far you're not seeing a regretful Sacramento Kings draft pick. Now, this is the question that I want to pose for the Sacramento Kings. If they are really... Play in caliber, what will put them above other teams and give them a shot at a postseason appearance? So it's never just one thing, but clearly defense is what anyone would point to first. They need to create more possessions for themselves so that not every fourth quarter possession has to be so precious and perfect and getting every player on the offense to tighten up and not want to take a shot that's anything short of a sure thing. They have six steals per game right now, which is the fourth fewest in the league, but they're giving it away 14 and a half times per contest, which is close to what the league average is, maybe a little bit above last I checked. So the defense needs to find a way to disrupt other teams. They need to not only get into a rhythm themselves, they need to have other teams get out of a rhythm. And when they were playing the Warriors, that was largely what we were seeing. For a majority of the game, if it were not for the transcendent greatness of Steph Curry and his 47 point performance, the Kings surely would have come out on top there. I would actually say that that was not really a Kings choke that a lot of people are accustomed to seeing. That was more just Stephen Curry being a top two player in this league and taking over when it counted the most. The Kings are rebounding the ball better than the league average. So that's a start in terms of getting their possessions. But it's really about these young guys supporting De'Aaron Fox and other building pieces of this team. You traded Tyrese Halliburton last year. So that young prospect and the dual point guard system, that idea is out the window. But the growth of Davion Mitchell and Keegan Murray is paramount for this team. And we're starting to see that it's a little bit of a young players league. I actually really do respect the Sacramento Kings. They need to get a couple breaks as do all winning teams as do all contending teams, but I don't see them as a problematic team in the West that should just be overlooked quite yet. They can't afford any severe injuries and they cannot afford to not play sound defense. But the fact that they've been competitive in eight of their nine games is a very promising start to a team that I don't want to discredit for that. Let's move over to a team that is very much not the same as the Kings. It is the golden child, golden state warriors who have been off to kind of a rough start themselves. They got that win over Sacramento, but that put them up to four and seven, which is 12th in the West, about 11 spots below where they are used to being. So, They defeated the Kings 116 to 113 thanks to that unreal performance from Stephen Curry. He became the first player in NBA history to go for at least 47 points, 8 rebounds, and 8 assists without having any turnovers, which is unreal because that was kind of always the knock on not just Curry, but this Warriors team is that they could be a little bit careless with the basketball and a little bit loose because of how beautifully they moved without the ball, and how they pushed the pace up the floor, that was kind of always their Achilles heel, was getting careless and throwing it away, Curry with an all-time performance of just taking over, he even got a technical, you don't really see Steph Curry get angry in the way that he did, but he thought he was fouled, wanted the and one, and immediately just charged up to the ref, screaming, not the kind of emotion you see, but uh, it was well worth the one point he gave up for the way that he carried himself throughout the rest of the game. Uh, the Warriors much-needed win. Defending champs back up to 4-7, and seven, and they're going to face an old foe with some new faces on Friday, hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers, who just had their eight-game win streak snapped by the Clippers on Monday. Right now, the Warriors have the fourth-best scoring offense. Offense is not the issue. They have the worst scoring defense, and when you look at it from just on the road, it is especially bad. I'm not concerned with Steph Curry. I'm not concerned with Andrew Wiggins or Kavon Looney or Draymond Green, and I'm not even really concerned with Klay Thompson, who's continuing to work his way back from injury, and I'll continue to preach patience on Klay. He has earned the right to have fans just relax a little bit And not turn their back on someone who's one of the best players in franchise history and a key part of this dynasty. So my question for the Warriors is, which one of these young guys will be the first to step up and thrive in a larger role? And it's weird because we saw a lot of the young guys prove their value with minutes in high stakes playoff series. I'm not going to count Jordan Poole in this young group because we know what he's capable of, even if he's had a little bit of a rough start to the year. Jordan Poole is the future of this team. He's going to be fine. I'm more concerned with the younger prospects. And right now, Moses Moody feels like the logical choice as the answer to this question. He got good playoff minutes in the Western Conference Finals last year and thrived. He's putting up a little more than six points per game and two rebounds per game in a 16-minute off-the-bench average. The Warriors don't need explosive out of these young guys. They need steady. Think of it as replacing some of the duties of Otto Porter and Gary Payton II, or maybe even Bielitsa at times. He doesn't need to be quite the shooter of Otto Porter or the defender of GP2, but just a solid, steady presence on the floor that you can trust to work and understand how to move the ball with these young guys and how to be disruptive on defense. So Moses Moody, I think, is a nice choice for someone who can step up sooner rather than later. Now, that said, James Wiseman has the most wide open door for an expanded role. I love Kavon Looney, like love Kavon Looney to the point where I get made fun of for it, but he's playing 23 minutes a game, not 35. So like any big man, he's got a limited number of fouls to give to nobody's surprise right now. The two warriors with the most fouls are Looney and Draymond, both with 35. So Wiseman will have opportunities on the floor and he's had flashes of looking real solid. He had four consecutive double-digit scoring games, but defensively, he's looked frustrated, and usually the team is struggling when he's out there as the primary big man. But that doesn't mean that James Wiseman isn't good. I think we just don't know yet. People are so quick to pull the trigger on making judgments, and I'm so guilty of it, too. I wanted Andrew Wiggins gone so badly after watching him for a year and a half, and then he completely changed and turned everything around. And now I'm happy that the Warriors paid him. So it's not like I don't understand the frustration, but James Wiseman played what one, two games at Memphis in college and then got drafted where there was a month of offseason because COVID shifted the calendar of the season. So that was weird. He didn't play last year guys. He's played 49 games in his NBA career. He has not played 50 games just a little over half a season's worth, you can give the kid some time. I'm not saying he's going to be a cornerstone point of this franchise for the next decade, but to just say that we should abandon a number two overall pick in the draft seven foot one, seven foot two, something ridiculous who has a serious upside on the offensive end. It's okay Give James Wiseman some time because the position he plays is the one where the Warriors could fill a little extra minutes and space and if anything, just some fouls. Looney is out there working so hard. Draymond is out there working so hard. But they cannot afford to be five and a half foul average kind of players. That's where I stand with the Warriors right now. I told everybody to calm down last week on the podcast, and I'm just going to continue to preach patience. Cleveland's going to be a really good test because they have looked very much for real and explosive, and if the Cavaliers blow you out at home, that is a big concern. But if you can hang with the Cavaliers, even in a close loss, and the defense looks like it's tightened up and it's a little bit better than we saw on the road, then these are steps forward. Friday is going to give a lot of new information about the Warriors as well as their next few games. Let's move to another team that a lot of people thought could be a title contender, and they've had a very weird, quiet, kind of steady and solid, but also at the same time rocky start to the season. The Los Angeles Clippers are 6 and five, seventh in the Western Conference right now. Here's a fun stat on this team. They are 2 and 1 on back-to-backs this season. So that means no rest and they have a winning record. Now, it is a little too early to look oh, you know, we can't look too far deep into those kind of metrics right now. But it does glue to the rest of the puzzle with them so far, which is that they are steady, professional, well-coached, solid team defense, not very explosive, inconsistent roster and plagued by injuries. They are top 10 in scoring defense, field goal percentage defense, assists allowed, and it's why they're my favorite team to bet the under on. I love betting the under on Clippers games because they are very much a good team. They are just missing too many pieces, and the real problem is that they have a let's win now championship window with the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George tandem, but we're not seeing a lot of that. And the question for a long time with this team is when will we see them fully healthy? But my question today on the podcast is when are they allowed to get exhausted with Kawhi Leonard? Yes, I know he tore his ACL. That is a very real and severe injury. If I'm going to preach patience on Clay Thompson, having that as one of his big injuries, of course I will do the same for Kawhi Leonard, but he's only played in two games He did make a big shot to help his team get a win over the Lakers in his season debut, but you're not really seeing any progress with his knee. In fact, you're going the other way backwards, and he is now 18 months removed from an injury that has around a 9 to 12-month recovery process. He is out indefinitely as he recovers, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't be careful, but given his injury history and how he's handled it, we know he likes to be extra cautious and miss a lot of games throughout the season. He hasn't played 60 games in a season since 2018 with the Raptors when he won his second championship and finals MVP, the 2018-19 season, that is. And I know the Clippers are going to publicly defend him, but by now it has to be a little tiring for Ty Lue and Paul George and the rest of Leonard's Clippers teammates. If he comes back on his terms, the Clippers should expect a fully present, fully dedicated Kawhi, and it was weird how he was kind of detached at times. In fact, i never been to a Clippers game, or a Lakers game for that matter, never been to Staples slash Crypto.com Arena until I went to my good friend, I went to it with my good friend Serena Morales last April. And I saw one of the last Clippers regular season games and Paul George was sitting out and he was playing, uh, sorry, he was throwing t-shirts into the crowd. He was very into it, uh, seemed like a very dedicated teammate, really liked interacting with the crowd. And Kawhi Leonard was up somewhere in his suite watching the game, not really to be seen much. We know he doesn't have the personality of a very Emotional or vocal leader, but there's still ways to go and be a leader by just being around the team and having your presence felt. Is he a number one option on a team based on talent when he's fully healthy and at his best? Yeah, of course he is. Is he a number one option on a team when you take in all the intangibles? I don't know. And I think the Clippers are starting to reckon with some of that as well. They're six and five, but this version of the Clippers is probably not going any farther than the second round of the playoffs where it's, you don't get your bully consistent, healthy roster. You got a solid defense, but when you play against good teams that know how to score a lot, how is that going to affect it? Is your defense going to break down or is your offense going to burn out? Or will you just find ways to adjust and continue to climb despite having a bit of a ceiling right now. These are all questions that will get answered over time, but my big question right now is, when are they allowed to be exhausted with Kawhi Leonard? Let's move to their L.A. counterpart, the Los Angeles Lakers, who are a complete dumpster fire and disaster. 2-8, 14th in the Western Conference, only ahead of the Houston Rockets. I really don't have a lot to say beyond what's already been said by anybody covering basketball. It's a disaster. LeBron James is not 2018 playoff LeBron James. They're one out of three teams making below 10 three pointers per game. They're bottom five in field goal percentage. They score the fifth fewest points per game. And there were even talks of trading players other than Russell Westbrook, which pretty much means Anthony Davis, right? Because Probably not trading LeBron James unless he completely demands to get out of a situation, but right now his family's in LA, he likes living in LA, or so it seems. I don't think he's going to want to go anywhere this year, even though he has limited years left on his career. So Anthony Davis is really only your tradable piece that has value, and he is nothing compared to the value he, he had when the Lakers traded for him with the New Orleans Pelicans back before... 2019-2020. Uh, so one silver lining is that they've been able to stay in games with their defense, but most of those don't wind up turning into wins. And their third quarter point differential is 29th in the league, that minus 4.9. So their disaster coming out of halftime and out of the break, which is a really important time in any sport. The only team worse in third quarter quarter point differential, I'll give you a second to guess if you're listening and you want to try to figure it out, it is the Minnesota Timberwolves, so interesting one right there, the Minnesota Timberwolves, a little bit of a shaky start to their season, though far better than the LA Lakers, so the tragedy in the Lakers is that they can't even really tank because the New Orleans Pelicans are just going to be waiting to swap draft picks with them from the Anthony Davis trade. So I guess the question I have for the Lakers is, are they better off trading Anthony Davis this year and getting some draft stock while LeBron has a few years left in his career? They're not going anywhere this year, even with a slight turnaround. There's no clear right or wrong answer to this question, but right now it's a young players league. I'll say it again. Uh, There's probably more even play than I've seen in years, and getting a couple of big picks in the next couple of years could spark one last run for the King. I don't have a ton of thoughts on the Lakers right now, and there's not a lot of reason for optimism, but I wanted to have a question that would spark some thought among you passionate listeners out there. The true screamers never let their fandom fully rest, even when the season is miserable like this. Let's go to our last team in the Pacific, and it's the only one that's had a nice start to the season, but... Things could turn around quickly with the Phoenix Suns. They're second in the West at seven and three. Listen, their defense is really good. It's second in points allowed uh, third in opponent field goal percentage third in assists allowed. Devin Booker has been fantastic thus far. They still look very much alive and for real, despite all the off season speculation going around and how they ended their season with a collapse against Dallas in game seven. However, after losing to the 76ers in Philly, all of a the sudden they are very vulnerable again. First of all, Cam Johnson is going to be out 1 to 2 months with a torn meniscus. Uh, Chris Paul left the last game with heel soreness, and Deandre Ayton, I mean as much as I like him as a player, he's not living up to his big contract right now. He is a top 6 paid center. But just through these 10 games, he's 14th in points relative to other starting centers, 29th in rebounds, 16th in field goal percentage, and 4th in fouls per game. So, yes, I know they're winning, and he's doing enough for them to win, but now the Suns are incredibly vulnerable, and they're going to need a lot out of him. It seems like a great time for him to step it up, especially in regards to scoring. By the way, he only has... 2.1 free throws attempted per game which is not really what you want to see from a big man who has the offensive skill set that he does and i am not here to rag on ayton or say that the suns are going to fall off a cliff i'm just pointing out that they are very vulnerable and if they don't have their full roster at full health is chris paul going to get tired later in the season This is just a team I worry a little bit about come a playoff series when you're facing someone young and hungry like the Memphis Grizzlies or a little bit more experienced with a championship pedigree like the Golden State Warriors. So they're still 7-3, they're still 2nd in the West, and they still have their star player playing lights out. Here's another thing. They're 6-1 at home and 1-2 and on the road. So some of my predictions have been a little iffy so far, but saying the Suns would have a highly successful six-game homestand was right on the money. They only lost from that Jeremy Grant buzzer beater, which was a really impressive win by Portland without Damian Lillard. So my question, and my last question on the Pacific Division is, where will we see this team in the standings after one to two big road trips? For the other questions so far, I've had some answers and some thoughts. For this one, I'm just throwing it out there. I simply do not know. I did predict they would hold their ground at home, but they face a wave of challenges coming up. They got the Timberwolves, Magic, Heat, and Warriors as their next four opponents, and the Magic have been kind of fun and spicy. The Timberwolves... You don't really know what you're going to get. You could get the bad Timberwolves, or you could get the explosive Timberwolves with a little lockdown defense. And the Heat and Warriors, yeah, they've had some struggles to start the season, but it's still teams that people believe will be real championship contenders. Phoenix, I think, is totally a championship contender as well. I think right now they're one of the top five teams in the league with how they've started their season, but I am worried about them. And I'm just very curious to see if they will have any kind of success after going on the road or if they're really relying on home court and most things going in their favor. A lot of variables that they can't necessarily control. So there you have it. The Kings, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, and Suns, Pacific Division. There are my questions. Now let's move into some bets, and I just want to say again, bet small. My predictions have been very spotty, and a lot of my bets, both ones that are right and wrong, have been decided by the most minuscule details. Oh, the three-pointer went in and out. The over didn't hit. Oh, they didn't call a foul there, so we're going to overtime, so there's going to be more points, and the over's going to land. Oh, the Pelicans, they missed a pair of free throws instead of covering the spread, and now we're going to overtime and they lost. A lot of different things. So just bet small. A lot of educated guesses are going around. It's not a SparkNotes cheat code so you can ace your high school English quiz. You can't repeat the past. Why, of course you can, said Jay Gatsby. That's exactly how I feel if you don't tread lightly on these early season NBA bets where. You're just minuscule little details can swing it one way or another. But some of us like to do it. Some of us have some fun. So I want to share some general trends before I get into my Wednesday bets. Right now, underdogs of plus 250 or higher odds are 8 and 18 to start this year. So don't be afraid to let it rip and let loose with a couple bets on teams that have advantageous rest schedules and favorable injury reports those are two things i would look at before just pulling the trigger on an underdog let's talk about some fun over teams new orleans dallas and golden state those are some fun over teams right now and we mentioned golden state's high power offense with their struggling defense of course things can turn around with all these teams but right now the trends are working if you want to bet the over and you think they're playing a team that can also fill it up in the box score. The favorite under teams, well, one of them I mentioned, the LA Clippers. I think it's only hit one or two times all season. But also the Blazers and Timberwolves are fun under teams. In fact, those three combined account for nearly 20% of all unders this season. So that's one to keep an eye on. I think the Timberwolves especially, inconsistent offense with a top five defense, I think with, you know, makes sense with a Rudy Gobert unit out there. So that's another good one to look at. Now let's get into some picks I have for tonight's games. Well, I'd like to go Cavs minus five over the Kings, and I do like the Kings, but Cleveland is crushing the spread this year. They're not only eight and two in reality, they are eight and two against the spread and coming off a fourth quarter collapse that snapped a big win streak for them. I like Cleveland to get back on track before they go to the Bay and face the Warriors. Donovan Mitchell's been great. Darius Garland didn't miss a beat coming back into it. And yes, I love the Kings, but defense has not been near their strength. So if the Cavaliers can just fill it up on the offensive end, I think this could be a real spot for them to cover the spread. Also in that vein, the over might not be a terrible pick. Let's move to Suns at Timberwolves. I just alluded to it. The under 226 is where it's set. And I think that's a little bit high for Minnesota being at home. The unders hit in five of the last six road games for Phoenix. So they're a different team when they're playing away from their home state. And five of the last six games for the T Wolves have also hit the unders. So the Suns offense is a big question mark right now, as we discussed Chris Paul has heel soreness. Cam Johnson is out. DeAndre Ayton needs to score more. We know Devin Booker is going to get his, but it's unclear who else will step it up. This is a really favorable underbet in my eyes, and the Timberwolves, yes, they have their issues. I would say defense is not near the top of that list. Next, the Milwaukee Bucks, another team that is crushing the spread, only not covered twice, I believe. And... They're minus seven and a half against the Thunder. So the East versus West has been a slippery slope for covering spreads. I just bet one East team to cover in Sacramento, but this trend does not apply to Milwaukee. It's not an issue for them. They will surely look to get back on track, uh, back to their dominant form after suffering their first loss of the season. And the Thunder, you don't even know who they're trotting out there half the time. Double check the injury report. Things always come out hours before games, but I think the Bucs should have no problem playing in Oklahoma City. Seven and a half points, they can cover it, and I think that's a fair bet. Another one, the Nuggets and the Pacers give me the under on 234 and a half. So the Pacers are scoring. Yes, they are, but the unders are hitting in their games because the mark is being set high in games with Indiana. So their average total this season is above 227, but against totals that are uh, above 230, the under's hitting three out of four times this season so far. Yes, Denver can score. They're eighth in the league in scoring, but on the road, they're scoring a little bit less than their average. I just think 234 feels like a trap bet, so I would probably go with the under despite some of the power we might see here. However, one thing that I have noticed is that when lines get set very high or low in one direction, sometimes Vegas is asking you for one bet and they want you to feed into it. So maybe we'll get an explosion in over 234, but I just think the safer, smarter play, given the trends we've seen to start this season, is under 234.5 points. Lastly, Let's go with the Clippers and the Lakers, two of the teams that we focused heavily on in this episode. Uh, the last time I bet against the spread for the Lakers, it backfired, but the Pelicans blew that game. Let's be honest. They missed two free throws when they could have iced it out. Give me the Clippers here, who are 5-0 and straight up versus the Lakers in their last five meetings, and they're 8-1 and against the spread in their last nine. I will say this, though. Do not bet the over under on this game. It's set at 221 and a half, but I think I see a little bit of a trap here. The Clippers have been my favorite under team. They have the lowest scoring average at home, barely going over 100 points. But the Lakers are hitting the over frequently right now. They're four of their last five games they're hitting it, and LeBron James, you could say what you want about the Lakers, but he's still finding a way to get his numbers. And you telling me that in a LA LA clash LeBron's not going to find a way to put up points against a rival. I don't like messing with the scoring total. I think the Clippers can cover the spread, even if it's uh, a high-scoring game because they're going to have to score. And their defense is consistently solid against a team that can't shoot. So solid defense against a struggling offense feels like a good recipe for me, even if the Clippers have had some struggles of their own. I will take them to cover four and a half points against the Lakers in what is a quote unquote road game for the Clippers. So actually, maybe it's not even a road game. I I couldn't tell you, but it's a moot point because they're playing at the same arena. So congratulations to the extra season ticket holders that get priority, but it's professional basketball. We're not going to worry so much about it right now. The logo on the court will be a little bit different. Uh, Who gets to wear the fun jerseys? I don't know. Lots of games coming this Wednesday after a day off, but I cannot wait, and that's what we have for you today. We have five questions in the Pacific Division. We have bets coming for this slate of matchups, and we had a little bit of a reference to high school literature, F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby. Wow, what a book. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Screaming from the Sidelines. If you have any suggestions for more content, maybe, hey, I want to hurry about the Eastern Conference teams. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. Let me know. Uh, Find me on Twitter. Listen to my episodes. Share, rate, subscribe, all that juicy stuff. And I can't wait to be back with more knowledge to come. I asked you five questions, but when will we have our five answers? Keep screaming. And keep hooping. We'll be back soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger.